Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersena from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. A beautiful sunny day and a very hot sunny day is in, is in the forecast for us. And the weather is going to continue to be sunny and hot. So we're finding that there's a lot of clues that are out there that are happening with a, a lot of our plants. We're dealing with trying to keep the moisture in the ground. And we see the evidence of this happening in a lot of our trees. So we're going to be talking a lot about gardening and what's affecting our gardens or what if it's whether a bug, a grasshopper. So let's go right to the lines. Francis is there. Hi, Francis. Oh, good morning, Carla. Good morning. Um, uh, I'm calling about my grass. Um, in the oh, During the day and even early evening, it's just full of those white butterflies. They're not butterflies and they're, I don't think they're moths. Uh, what are they? The, the grass is just full of them. Well, it could be sod webworm. A lot of times, uh, if an indicator, if you're having some uh, bug diseases or bug problems down below, you'll get a little bit of a, a moth, and it's usually incumbent if we get uh, the sod webworm. It's sort of the the adult stage of it. We see the sod webworm when we have hot, dry locations, when we're seeing that moisture um, mm-hmm. in our ground. Yeah. yeah, so I suspect it may be... That is what you're finding? I had, I had a patch of that last year, and I tried to kill it with spray, and I, I dug some of it up, and when I turned this side over, turned the, the grass, pulled it up, I saw those little worms. Do you think that's yeah. what this year? Well, you know what? They are incumbent. I think that we see that it, when we get bugs, we get them in cycles. If you notice mm-hmm. that some years they'll be okay, but then it's like our... Uh, you know, the the tent caterpillars, we get them in waves and cycles. We yeah. find this also, too, in that because in the way that the sod webworm works is that you have the adult uh, moth and then it's going to go down and it's going to continue to lay its eggs that's in there. And generally, the eggs hatch. Um, I think it's, don't. I'm not a bug, bug person, but I think it's about a week or two later that you'll see that you're going to see the new oh. larvae and it's the new larvae that eat off of the rooting systems of yeah. our... And you know what? I think, you know, uh, sometimes you can get multiple generations. That's why mm-hmm. we have to try and break that cycle between, mm-hmm. you know, doing that. So if you can, uh, I know that um, adding a little moisture to the ground is a little bit uh, more effective that's in it. Because I think we see these when we see a little bit more drier conditions. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. What can I do about, can I spray something on those moths? Uh, when you can, the only thing that is there that's available is there is an end all. If you want to do a little bit of the um, regular sort of non-chemical type, there is an end all uh, product that you can put on uh, this application. What you want to do is make sure that there's moisture in the lawn prior to its application. Because okay. if you, um, kind of, if I sort of said the rationale for that, Rancis, is if we if we get a heavy rain, where do the worms go? Up. 
So in mm-hmm. the lar- the same thing with the larvae. If they get heavy moisture, the larvae are going to raise closer to the top surface. So when we do this application of a moisture spray that's on it, there's more chances of treating that bug. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's just hundreds of them. They're not just a few. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen it like that. I thought it was uh, to do with the. Uh, the worms in the in August we see the little moths and then they climb up the trees. But these aren't climbing up the trees; they're staying in the grass. You know what? They're two different types. Two different types. So it's mm-hmm. I know it's it's kind of like the bug world happening right now because if you look at different things, there's grasshoppers are showing up. You know, mm-hmm. um, so uh, if you can use the um, you know sometimes I think there's the Bacillus thuringiens. Sometimes the BTK may work because it works on the larvae of the worms on there. So uh, but the, I would do the concentrated other and put it in a hose and sprayer, okay? And probably okay. do it that way. Or if you can get some moisture, I know some uh, some areas are on re- restrictions for applying water. But um, if you can get it into the garden a little bit, that would be a little more beneficial, okay? Oh, great. Could I ask okay. another question? I have you, sir? Yeah. I have a basket of small flowers. They look like little pansies. They're just, or violets, I don't know, they came in a basket to hang up, so I hung them on the south side on the fence, and it seemed that the heat was too hot for them. Oh! So I uh, took them took them down and stuck them underneath the peonies. Okay. <laughs> give them There's, some relief. Yeah, you know what, there's a lot of plants that are under stress right now, mm-hmm. and in certain conditions when, even if they are in the shade, um, mm-hmm. because of the dryness that are in there, and you're probably going to, we can talk about this a little more, but it's, it's all about giving everything a little bit of reprieve, maybe a little more extra water to mm-hmm. have the optimal growth. Okay. And they're really full. So I think maybe I could cut them back too. Cause the, you the can, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that too, about pinching things back, keeping things neat right. and tidy. And by pinching things back, you're going to, it's going to be beneficial, uh, less respiration, it gives a plant a little bit of a rest, and it encourages more growth, and more growth means more flowers. Okay? Right. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Francis. Enjoy the uh, weekend, okay? Bye-bye. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. The lines are open at 1-800-374-3315. And I got so excited that we were having some callers first thing on this hot, sunny morning that I forgot that we were going to do our poem and we talked about sprinkler and water and the water stress that was in there so on this summer day we think about the moisture so listen to the poem before we go to see and visit with helen this is called this summer day that sprinkler is at it again hissing and spitting its arc of silver and the parched lawn is tickled green the air hums with the busy traffic of butterflies and bees who navigate without lane markers, stop signs, and directional signals. One of my friends says we're now in the shady side of the garden, having moved past pollination, fruitation, and all that bee buzz jazz into our autumn days. But I say, wait, it's still summer, and the breeze is full of sweetness spilled from the million petals. It wraps around your arms lifts the hair from the back of your neck. The salvia, coreopsis, roses have set the borders on fire and the peaches waited to be picked are heavy with juice. We are still ripening into our bodies, 
still in the act of becoming. Rejoice in the day's long sugar. Praise that the big fat tomato of the sun. It's so true. This is summer. We're in the glory of it and all the colors are just ripening and coming into this beautiful effect of the landscape. So let's go right back to the lines and Helen is waiting. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hi. How can we help you? Well, I have three plants of gypsophilia and I want to give one to my daughter. So what is the best time to transplant them? This is the perennial uh, gypsophilia. Okay. I'm glad you said that because... There are, in some categories, and we'll maybe let some people know, that in different categories of plants, there are the same name. But, yeah, it could be an annual or it could be a perennial. So, and gypsophilia is beautiful. Is it a pink or is it a white? It's a white. Oh, it's beautiful. I love gypsophilia. It gives you that delicate, sort of very airy puff, almost a cloud of white, eh? Oh, it's it's lovely, but... uh... Uh, she hasn't got one, and I thought I could spare one for her. Oh, for sure. Now, is it the tall variety, or is it the ground uh, hugger type? Well, it's about two feet tall, and okay. it, it spreads out like a big ball. Okay. So on your variety, the flower is going to be a lot bigger than the one that is the Gypsophilia repans, which is the ground hugger. Um, I would say wait a little bit longer Helen, because with the amount of heat that we're having, uh, it's going to cause some additional stress on the plants. Yeah. Well, I was wondering whether I should do it in fall. Yes, I would strongly recommend that you do it um, probably early September so that when you're doing your transplanting and lifting, that you still have time for the root development to anchor into the new location, okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, And when you lift it, uh, you can, and when you're lifting and transporting it, you can put it in a pot with some nice new soil around it. And then, if she has the area ready and prepped for it, it's less stress and it's right into the new location. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome, and thank you for calling in to the Lawn and Garden Journal. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. We're already talking about transplanting, and I know that uh, I follow a few of the gardening sites and. Uh, yeah, people are lifting things up. People are finding that uh, they want to plant things that are new. They want to see that some things are just growing a little outside their boundaries. So if it's outside the boundaries, hey, lift them, split them, divide them, not now, in the fall, and give them to a friend. Or I always thought there's opportunity that if I'm lifting and splitting, there's one plant that can also go into a new garden. All right, let's go right back to lines. James is waiting. Good morning, James. Good morning. Good morning. morning. How can we help you? I'm phoning from downtown Lebo, Manitoba. Well, hello and and good morning, Lebo. I have, thank you very much. Lebo appreciates that. (laughs) I have have some pine trees and they're dying. And uh, the branches turn brown and then they die. And then after, if I look at the trunk, the trunk looks like it's got little holes in it. Okay, um, now, if you have a pine tree and it's dying, uh, how, first of all, how old is the tree? Well, they're quite tall, so I imagine they're pretty old. Okay, and is it just, are they dying from the outside, inward, or inward, outward? I don't know, I just know that the branches start turning brown. Okay, 
Uh, well, what you're going to look for is if you have holes in there, uh, because if the yeah. trunk is if the trunk is fairly large, like a, um, we usually say it's a caliper type, which is the girth of the tree that's on it. Yeah. Is it at a height that's above the ground? That because um, sap suckers will create uh, equal distance kind of holes in a pattern on the trunk of some trees. So okay. if it it almost looks like someone has methodically gone and drilled holes in a straight line across and a straight line down. So if that, you see that, does that sound yeah. familiar? Yeah. Okay, that is a sap sucker. So a sap sucker will go into um, creating these holes that are on it. And the sap sucker damages, um, he's, he's going in there looking for some bugs or some other types of stuff. You will get signs of dieback if that bark is completely girdled around the trunk of the tree yeah. or if there's major portions removed because the trunk on the outside of a tree is where the xylem and the phloem, that's the fluids that cause the uh, movement of the fluid that sustains the tree up and down. And if yeah. that's disrupted, that could cause damage to branches. Now, is it are the branches all on one side or uh, cylindrical all the way around? Um, it looks like all the way around, like a few on one side and a few on the other. Okay. So check and see if the sap sucker is down damaged, then it's probably could be a slow demise to the tree. Now yeah. we haven't, um, also too, I'd be curious to see, uh, if, if you could take some of your needles or some, a uh, branch in a clear plastic bag to maybe your garden center, have them take a look at the branches because there could be some other diseases themselves that are on the pine tree that could be also causing this and the holes could be secondary. So I really don't want to say it's, you know, hundred okay, well, percent done that and I didn't get much help. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Because there are some other diseases like in the evergreens and the, that there's a cytosporo disease that affects mature trees as well. Yeah. Okay. The only thing is, is, um, myself, if it was a, now, is it a feature tree or is it just a tree on a, a, a hedgerow or something? It's a tree on on a root. Some of them, it's a tree in in a in a row of trees. Yeah, a tree in a row of trees. Okay. Um, so if we can't narrow down, generally, if we can't narrow down what it is, uh, we try to encourage the vigor and health of a tree because sometimes by fertilizing and watering it, it gives yeah. that the energy to keep going and fighting what is there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If it's yeah, a sap site, go ahead. I, I had I had done like a pH of the soil, and then I was told talked to someone at a garden center, and I was told to make a mixture of like sulfur and water and earthworm casings in it. Yeah. Put that around the root system of the tree, but it didn't yeah. seem to help a lot. Well, the sulfur is basically if it's a bacterial portion of it, because sulfur, um, and sometimes you know if you sometimes read if you have an infection on you know. The sulfa is an ingredient that sometimes helps to fight off bacterial infections. So the sulfur in the ground is going to help, and it may take a couple cases of it to implement it, but then we're trying to target to see what it is. So if it's not the bacterial, then the sulfur is going to be an additive that's going to help to it. 
But if it's something else that's in it, um, you know, it's kind of that secondary. And sometimes you find, um, in some cases too, if you find that if a tree is in a weakened state, then your diseases move in, then your, then your bugs and, you know, your bugs and your pests move in because they know that it's weakened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think it's a bad thing that you put the sulfur there. I think it's almost like a preventative to sort of say, hey, if it's this, let's try this to see if it is that. Um, if, yeah. it is, if it is the cytosporo disease that affects some of the evergreens and uh, spruce trees and pine trees that are in there, uh, I hate to say it, but it is a slow demise to that. Um, but if the infected branches are really, really bad and they're brown and they're brittle, I'd say yeah. if you could pr- prune those ones out for sure. Okay? Okay. Okay, and if I you're pruning... I didn't do anything with them at the time because I didn't know what to do. Well, yeah. I want to make them. Yeah, well, if there's, no, if there's no viable new growth on those brown branches, yeah. um, I would probably remove them. But uh, you may have heard me before, if you're using your loppers, your saws, or your secateurs to remove any diseased or potentially diseased... Make sure you wipe them off. Bleach and water solution, okay? Just yeah. dunk and bleach it and do so that you're not doing transference, okay? Yes. Okay. So let's see Thank if it you. and if you if you can get some what additional water uh, to them, uh, yeah. try and give them some extra water, especially the ones that are around them too as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for calling in. You're welcome. You're okay. Enjoy the weekend. All right. So there's a lot to discuss. And when we're thinking about it, um, this is part of it too, because when we see that plants get stressed, yeah, you know, and heat is stress. There is a lot of areas where heat causes stress because, uh, A, I'm driving around the city here now, and I'm even looking at some of the boulevard trees. You know, the ones that are in our gardens that we're giving that little bit of moisture, the rooting systems will source out that moisture that's there. But some of our big mature trees that are in the uh, on our boulevards, if you can, you know, I, I'm saying if you can because I know that there's restrictions on watering. I know that it's hard to be able to go out there. Uh, give them a little bit of a drink, even if it's just for a short period of time. Uh, and if there's until there's a break that we can get some moisture because you can see the detriment. You can see the leaves are hanging straight down. It's like us walking through a very... Uh, rocky beach for a while and not being able to sip on some lemonade or iced tea. We feel that effect. And some of the plant stress indicators that we're seeing is you will see yellow leaves, chlorosis, and sometimes the chlorosis is in there where you'll see uh, it's kind of a secondary aspect that's on it. But just imagine that all these yellow leaves, when they defoliate or they start getting yellow, it's like us going out first thing in the spring where we do not have that a uh, little rosy glow of a suntan happening. That's our preventative measures from future uh, sunburn that's on it. And if the leaves of a tree go yellow, that chlorophyll product that's in it is weakened. And this allows the brown scalding of leaves. And that's where we get those brown crisp leaves happening that are on it. So adding some moisture to it. We can help if you're starting to find that there are some leaves that are yellowing off on it. Uh, there are some things that we can help to take measures. A, apply some water, but the water itself is not going to green up those leaves. But by adding a little bit of um, K2 
chelated or iron, iron chelate, or some people say iron chelate, to the earth, it will actually help the plant to be able to bind with some of that iron in there to bring up, to add some extra greenery to the leaf structure that's there. So those are things that we want to do. And there's also the stress that we can see, and we see it also in our, our plants, uh, hanging baskets or our vegetables. If you can keep uniformity in your uh, containers, especially your flowers and your vegetables, consistent watering too. And consistent means not all the time. If they're dry, yes, water them. But it's that water, water, water go bone dry, water, 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 go bone dry. It's the hard part that's on it. Um, so if you can keep some moisture in it where it doesn't go to the point where your plants are wilting, you don't want them to wilt, go to a complete wilt and then to bounce them back. Because you will see that their flowers, uh, your flowers will be the first indicator that goes. Yeah, it happen- It does happen. You know, I went home the other night and I went, oh, I forgot to water one basket that was hanging on one side of the deck and you could tell it was not looking happy. And, but I caught it in time because, you know, a little bit of a drink and a half an hour later, up it goes and it was looking good. But some of my flowers were not there. They were lost. So out I go and do a little pinching. So let's talk about more tree care and a little bit about um, maybe how we can water and make our plants perk up a little bit. And I don't know if that was James from Lebo that called last week, but James from Lebo was also uh, inquiring about the Christmas trees and moving the Christmas trees and if some of the things that were going through it. This is the same thing. So James from Lebo, if that was James from Lebo that was asking about when to transplant Christmas trees, I just wanted to give you a little bit more because A, yeah, you were talking about the pH test with the sulfur, but Some people too, and it goes into the train of the fact that if you're wanting to move some of your trees, uh, again, it's not the time frame to be doing that. A lot of the things that you'll want to do is wait until the temperatures are a little bit cooler. If we were not as hot as we are, I'd probably say if you really had to move it, you probably could, but you will notice that there's a little bit of a change and it's going to be a little bit of a stressful time for doing that. And for transplanting your trees, Uh, We normally say that when you're moving a spruce tree, you do it prior to the new bud breaking open in the spring or after in the late fall when the new growth has hardened off. Because if you know when spruce trees open up um, or before they open up, they're kind of prickly. So dealing with it and brushing against it, they have that rigid needle that's on it. And as they open up, the new growth is always so soft. And it has a little bit of a relaxed habit to it until the moisture and the content and the growth allows that plant to harden off the new needle set. Now, we also remember that uh, sometimes people, they're out there and asking, how do I get the density of creating my trees to be thicker, especially evergreens, junipers, or globe cedars? It's generally uh, into the third or the fourth week of June or, or early July, depending on the season, that the new needles uh, are completely open, that we see it. And that's also at the time that we, if we wanted to do some shearing or some shaping, light tip shearing 
of some of our cedars and evergreens are generally done at that time because like our lilacs and like our mock orange, the new bud set for the new branching is developed just at that time. So you want to be able to do your pruning and your uh, pinching prior to that new bud set being formed. Otherwise, if you do it the next year, it's going to have this little misshapen look that's to it. All right, so there's a little bit of shout out too that uh, if you did not pinch or shear back and shape some of your lilacs or your mock orange, it's a little bit too late. You'll have to wait until next year unless you're wanting to or not necessarily wanting to. Uh, maybe if you just sort of said, okay, I'll forego having my blossoms for next year. All right, because that's what you'll be doing. You'll be cutting off the blossoms for the next year's growth that's on it. Now, the lines are open, 1-800-374-3315. Now, I did wanted to say something, and I have another poem, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a preempt to this, and that's in it. And um, in the garden center industry, we had a loss. It was a friend of mine, and if you knew that what you've ever been here before, um, he was a gentle giant. He loved to talk about gardening. He loved the customers at St. Mary's. He was always full of advice, and he will be surely missed. He was a friend of mine, and he loved trees. And I think, you know what, this poem has been sitting here, and I thought, what a better way to say farewell to Miles is to read you a tree, and it's fitting, because we're talking about trees. So before we go to Eva, I'd like you to listen to a poem. Here it is. I love a tree. When I pass on to my reward, whatever that may be, I'd like my friends to think of me as one who loved a tree. I may have not had a statement's poise, nor the thrill of a crowd with speech, but I can benefit mankind if I set out a beach. If I transport a sapling oak to rear its mighty head, twill shade and shelter those who come long after I am dead. If in a park I plant an elm where children come to play, to them twill be a childhood shrine that will not soon decay. Of if I plant a tree with fruit on which the birds may feed, I've helped to foster feathered friends, and that's a worthy deed. For winter, when the days grow short and spirits may run low, I'd plant a pine tree upon the scape, twould lead a cheery glow. I'd like a tree to mark the spot where I'm laid to rest. To me, twould be an epitaph that I would love the best. And though not carved upon a stone for those who come to see, my friends would know that I'm resting here is one who loved a tree. Thank you for listening. We say farewell to Miles from St. Mary's Nursery. Sorry for the somberness, but it's something from the heart, and gardeners are passionate, and we see that. So let's go right back to lines. Eva, thank you for holding, and thank you for listening. How can we help you today on the Lawn and Garden Journal? I've got problems with my petunias. Well, what is happening with your petunias? Well, I've got them in hanging pots. I've got eight hanging pots, and uh, I've got the, I've got the purple ones, uh, like, like, like I don't know if I'm saying this word right. The bordiacs, the supertunias. 
Oh, the Bordeaux. No, you have that's the... what it's called. Okay. Yeah, well, there's a little French side to that. It's like um, uh, like a nice fi- fine glass of red wine or Bordeaux. Well, I I, I always uh, thought it was Bordeaux because there was an X behind it. So <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we understand. So we're on the same page here. Okay. We're, we're we're good. Yeah, I got the purple ones, and I got the I got the uh, deep pink ones with the with the uh, yellow from the inside. Yep. And at the greenhouses, they, uh, they guaranteed me there was no head, deadheading on those. Well, I got really fooled about that. Now, well, all of my eight containers, yeah. both colors, uh, if I start uh, deheading them, I'll be either sitting on the, on the grass or doing that for the next three hours. Okay. <laughs> because because more, most of... Most of them are just have, have bloomed out, and they're just hanging there dead, and and they need to be all taken out. Okay, well, with super tunia, um, petunias, um, I always believe that if you do a little bit of shearing, I'm always where even the ones that say don't deadhead, I always like to do a little bit of pinching, and um, you know to encourage more and faster growth that's on it. Mm-hmm. That's on it. So anything, um, you know. So, yes, some of the varieties will self-clean themselves. Some of the other ones benefit a little bit more from Because, you know, on I it. have taken, the last two weeks, I have taken out uh, lots, of, lots of dead ones there, but they're coming in faster than I can take them out. Yeah, yeah. And if they may say that there's no deadheading required, because in the aspect of the gardening world, no deadheading may be required, but at that same time, some of the plants may take, or the flowering aspect may take a little bit longer for the reset of the next bloom. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, if you see it, and I always, I'm the firm believer that as soon as I see one third of the flowers that are finishing, I like to pinch them off. I find it kind of therapeutic that I can go out there and do a little bit of that. Well, um, I find it annoying. Oh, <laughs> well, because, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because... Because, you know, if you, uh, and that's what I always ask at the greenhouse before I buy, buy them. Because uh, uh, I, I, am, I am 80 years old and I, I, don't, I don't like to stand in the sun there for three hours. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. I and, can. Uh, and, uh, so, and I always ask them uh, which one. So I, I guess uh, if I live long, longer yet, then I'll just have to stay at, at, at my geraniums, which are much better. Easier if when the uh, when the dead ones are there, you just break it off and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Because the the only other thing that too is with your super tunias in, in between, like if it if the flower fades, the flower is going to have to uh, end and fall. They yeah. do go brown when they do fall, but again, uh, they are saying that you don't. They probably does not have to be deadheaded to the fact that in order for the plant to produce a new bud set. That's the rationale. Whereas in other plants, you have to debud in order for the reset of new blooms. Yeah. So there's two trains of thought. So is A, these ones don't need to be deadheaded for the new production of new branching, which produces new flowers. Where in the other set, if you deadhead, it will it encourages the plant to keep going. Whereas in some cases, some plants say, I finished flowering, I'm done for the season, I'm finished. Mm-hmm. So with the supertunias, um, they're in more inapt to create that aspect that they say, I'm not done, 
Let's just keep going. Okay? Because, because you know, uh, you know, uh, last week, all eight of them, they just look beautiful. Now, yeah. n- now yesterday, I, I noticed, and today even more. Uh, uh, you know, they, they just look like as if they're done. Yeah. Well, what you can do, what you can do is uh, do a little bit of a shaping and shearing, and then just water and fertilize. Because sometimes it will just have to be the point where, if they're done and they're a little bit brittle, encouraging it by fertilizing and watering and keeping the vigor going. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, and have a blessed day. Oh, you too, Eva. Bye bye. You know what? These are the things, and even on certain things, and I know that with geraniums, when we go to them, I know Desmond, you're next. Um, when we get to the geraniums, they are easier because it is a bigger flower and has a single head that goes back down to it. So in essence, we're still doing a little bit of maintenance, but the rewards are thumbs up. Awesome. Let's go right back to the lines. There's Desmond. Hi, Desmond. Hi. How are you doing? I'm very well. You know what? I've been remiss in asking everyone where they're calling from. So I Glenora. know that we... Where are you oh. from? Glenora. Just north Denor- of Rock Lake. Oh, Denora. I think you're Glenora, our first... Glen, Glen, Glenora. Glenora. Oh, I think... Yeah. You know what? Okay, so I may have... I think I have a pin close to Glenora, but Rock yeah, Lake... I've called, I've called before. <laughs> there you go. That's why. How are you? Okay. What's How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Um, actually, it's a friend's trees, evergreen trees, and okay. uh, they're blue spruce. They're about, I'm thinking, four to eight feet high. Well, maybe not eight. Anyway, and they're they're bending right over, like they're almost touching the ground with their peaks. Is that just not enough water? Yeah, you are. Are you in a? Okay, now we're in Glorana. Are you uh, sandy? Soil? Oh, well, he is. It's fairly heavier land, but. Okay, all right. He's more close to Mariapolis, but anyway. Okay, so, all right. Now, is this a tree that is on your on your landscape side, or is it a windrow, or is it, are it's you trying to make landscape. it a feature? It's on his landscape, it's on his yard site, and it's an inside tree that he just planted, I don't know how many years ago, and there's big maples on the other side, like right beside him. But, I mean, five feet away, or maybe ten feet away. Okay, all right. So if this is the first year that this, uh, and you're saying it's eight feet tall? I'd say from about five to, to eight. Okay, five, all right. Five, six to eight. There's, about, there's a few different sizes, so. Okay, well, the first thing that I would probably do is let's assist these trees. So if you could get, um, do you know what T-bar is? T-bar? T-bar. Like it's, um, um, okay, it's, uh, we, we, it's a piece of posting that's shaped like a T, or if you can call it a big oh, garden right, stake. Right, yeah, yeah. No, you're just talking to hold it in place. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on the landscape side, we call it a T-bar. It's a metal, uh, it's a metal post, length of post. It's, yeah. uh, they usually come in 8 to 10 feet lo- in length. Um, if you can get an 8-foot length of either uh, something that's quite strong, I, I would suggest that you stake that into the ground at the outside edge where the drip line is and put a guide wire on it to get that straightened up, okay? Okay. So if you can straighten it and give it a guide wire, if it, if it is indeed at eight feet tall, you may put the stake in the ground, but you're going to probably put two guides to pull it upright. 
and I would be putting some extra water on that because if it's leaning and it's got no support structure in that uh, trunk, because the fluid aspect of that xylem and phloem not only gives it the electrolytes and the and the the case to grow a tree, but that's also supportive too because it's held with fluids. And we know that if we carry around five gallons of water, how much it weighs? Okay. Right. So it, See, these trees were standing straight up, I think, in the spring. Yeah, there's something happening. So if your water table is really low and there has not been any additional um, moisture into that area, I would suspect that we need to get those straightened up because you do not want them to be weakened and to have a arc to them going into the winter because that's just going to open up a whole different uh, can of worms, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay, and, so and extra one. Water- go, go ahead. Your last lady that was asking about uh, about having so many plants to deadhead, yes. that's just chopping. That's just chopping the chopping the top off, right? A well, weed whacker you're... would work. A weed whacker would work good. <laughs> not necessarily. That let's well, not go extreme. As long as you were, as long as you were careful, didn't get carried away. Well, uh, a weed whacker up in the air. I think she was talking about hanging baskets. Okay, Desmond, you're oh, making me laugh. No, let's keep really it safe. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. thank, thank you. Weekend. You too. Bye. Thank you for the giggle. Oh my gosh. There's on there. So yes, deadheading, trimming, placing different trees on it. Those are aspects and it's a beneficial part of it. Even if it's a green structured plant like Ipomea, like uh, you're going to go, what is an Ipomea? Well, it's an ornamental potato vine. Any type of plant benefits from a little bit of a trimming, a little bit of fertilizer, and a little bit of loving care. So deadhead and you'll see the glory. I love, right now, there is the shout out to the warm, rich color tones of the earth that she's giving us. If you see the flowers of the deep reds, the rutabecchias, I have to admit, the rutabecchias and the gallardias that are out there. I want you to all Google rutabecchia and gallardia, if you can Google. If not, maybe pull out some of your garden books and take a look at the beautiful warm tones. They're rich, they're sunnies. And the rutabecchias, yeah, you may know them as black-eyed Susans. Now, again, the black-eyed Susan, it could be a perennial. It could be an annual. Or it could be a black uh, climbing vine. That opens us up for next week's conversations. Mark down your questions. I hope you all take time to sit under a big shady tree and enjoy the day. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>